Almost 20 years ago in the year 2002, there was this ginormous Christian youth event of sorts that took place, took place in Canada. And it was like three days long. And in the mornings, they had a plenary session where this senior bishop would speak. And in the afternoon, they had all these various breakout sessions all over the place. And um, I read an article by one of the bishops who taught in one of the breakout sessions. He taught all three days in the breakout sessions. And he talked about how in the final day, the third day of this uh, conference, that he had 300 people in attendance at his session. He spoke on, on a particular topic. And it, because it was the last day when it was over, he asked the question, is there anybody here who's been impacted by this conference who would like to speak? And he said that there was silence in the room for what seemed like a long time. And then finally, this young woman in the back of the room made her way to one of the microphones in the back and she began to speak. And, I, and he wrote this in an article and I'm gonna quote how he recorded um, what took place. He talked about this woman who came to the mic and she says, yes, this event has not only changed my life, it has saved my life. She continued, see, I was living on the streets of Detroit under a highway overpass. I ran away from home seven years ago when I was 13. I'm addicted to alcohol and to heroin. And with that, she showed her bare arms so we could see the bruises and scabs from the needles. And I've been a prostitute for years to support those habits. Been in jail, on and off for shoplifting. Anyway, the youth group at my parish kind of adopted me, took me in, got me some counseling and some treatment, even a room, and invited me to this event. And I came on a dare, nothing better to do, figuring I'd come up here, break from the group, stay in Canada and go back to my old way of life. But something happened here. I met an old man. This is the uh, senior bishop that was speaking in the mornings. I met this old man who tells me he loves me. And I'm used to men telling me they love me as they give me money. But this old man seems to mean it. This old man tells me God also loves me. This old man tells me I'm the apple of God's eye. His work of art, made in his image, redeemed by his son, and that I'm so special that God wants me on his lap for all of eternity. She wrapped it up by saying, this old man has given me a reason to live. My life has not just been changed, but saved. I think this woman picked up on what, we're, what I want to speak about today the dignity of all people. She, she got a hold of the image of what it means that she has dignity and how she's made. And we're doing this as part of a sermon series that we've been undertaking, where we've been looking over these weeks at the various questions that are part of our baptismal covenant, these sacred promises that we make. And after you go through the um, doctrinal questions, we get five questions after that. And we've been marching through these and today's the last of the five questions. And the question that we get today is, will, will you strive to seek justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of all human beings? And that's what I want to speak about. And as we do that, I want to, I want to look at what it means for us when we get a hold of what our own dignity is in God, but also the challenge of what it means to go out and, and see the dignity of everyone in the world, how it changes us and what it does. And, and really deal with a little bit of, of the difficulty that we have in that place. And when we begin to look at this question, this whole idea, 
we began to think about what scripture says and what the church is, has taught for so long about this, right? That this idea. And when we look at the pages of scripture, I think we see two different things. We get this whole notion of our dignity because we see what God says about us, about each of us watching each of us in this room, what he says about how we were created, who we are, but also what he says about the people of the world. And you hear it in lots of different ways in scripture. There are way, way more passages than I could ever point to. I want to just look at a few of these, um, just thinking about some of these passages from scripture. And I'm not going to quote them. I'm just going to back up and say kind of what the punch is on each of these. Like you think about Genesis 1, 26 to 31, that God created man and woman in his image. We're made in God's image. Or Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 19, that God loves the orphan, the widow, the stranger. Psalm 139, that God formed each of us and knows us intimately. The Psalm 8 always has a special place in my heart. I'm going to quote it for a second where it talks about this. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you've established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. The place that God holds his creation. Or Proverbs 22, the Lord is the maker of both the rich and the poor. Luke 10, the good Samaritan, he recognizes the dignity and the other, and he cared for his life. Or, Jesus, or in John 4, how Jesus broke with societal and religious customs to honor the dignity of the Samaritan woman. Or Romans 12, where we learn, love one another, contribute to the needs of others, and live peaceably with all. 1 Corinthians 3, you're holy, for you are God's temple, and God dwells in you. James 2, honor the poor. 1 John 3, See what love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. In the next chapter, let us love one another because love is from God. There are lots of, I could go on and on. There are lots of passages that teach us who we are to God, how he's created us in his image and with dignity. And there are lots of passages where we get that God cares for everyone, rich, poor, marginalized, the whole spectrum. We get, we get all that. And the thing about it is we come to a really countercultural place right up front on this topic, because part of what this um, teaching is about, when we talk about, the, about look, recognize the dignity of all people, which means us as well, is it's, it's different than what our culture says and what much, much of the culture of the world would say, that, because much of what the culture says is your worth is what you do and what you have. And this is something different. This is saying you have a God-given dignity that just is because God's given it. And you don't need to go achieve it. I don't, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter any of those things. It doesn't matter what your education is. It, all those things don't matter. You, everyone has got God-given dignity because you're part of the human family. God has created. And when we start to take this on board deeply, it changes how we see things, how we see ourselves. We begin to see our worth from that place. We realize that God cares enough about us and that we have enough dignity that he is willing to sacrifice 
his only begotten son, that he's willing to love us in these profound ways, that we're his work of art, that he knows you by name, that he knows you better than you know yourself, that he loves you powerfully, passionately, forever, wants to be with you in eternity. And that, and that to go back to the, one of the early saints of the church, Bishop Irenaeus saying, the glory of God is a human fully alive. This idea that that's, that's part of what it is. It's not what you do or what you have. All those things are great, but our dignity is ultimately about God creating us, loving us, all of us, all of us in that way. I saw recently an article that was written by the uh, mega pastor out in California, Rick Warren. He's also, some of you will know him because he's such a uh, big author as well, best-selling author. He talks about the day when he was invited to go speak at a prison. And he was invited to go speak to 5,000 prisoners in this place. And he uh, arrived there and they, they got him going. And, and I'm going to read what he wrote about this event. He says, uh, nobody was paying attention except a couple hundred people right up front. I was standing on the ground with no stage, just a microphone, but the microphone could be heard through the entire yard. I pulled a $50 bill, held it up and said, how many of you would like this $50 bill? And 5,000 hands went up. I had everybody's attention. And then I crumpled it in my hands. I tore it a bit. And I said, how many of you would still like this $50 bill? And 5,000 hands went up. And then I sped on the $50 bill, threw it on the ground, stomped it into the dirt, held it up and said, how many of you would like it now? And 5,000 hands went up. And then I said, now for many of you, this is what your earthly father did to you. You've been mistreated, you're abused, you're misused, you were told that you, would amount to, you wouldn't amount to anything. You've done, you've done a lot of dumb things. You've sinned. You've done some crimes and you're paying for them. You've been beaten. You've been torn. You've been dirty. But you have not lost one cent of your value to God. That's the whole concept when it comes to thinking about who we are, that our dignity is... is God has given it to us and he doesn't take it back that we have it, that he's given it and it changes who we are. And that's the first part of, of looking at this question from the baptismal covenant is to realize each of us, ha we have God given dignity. But when we lean into that and we begin to really take that on board, it not only changes how we view ourselves, but then it changes how we go out and engage the world. And it's in the question, right? Because the question starts out by asking, will you strive for justice and peace among all peoples? That's what it, this whole thing about dignity will do. It will take us out and it's hard stuff. I'm not gonna lie. This, this can take us into some really hard places. I think that's part of the reason it gets included in the baptismal covenant. Because when we start talking about all the, these wonderful things about what it means, we've got dignity and God loves us and all these other things, maybe it's too simple, but then part of the commitment as a disciple is to take us into places that maybe are uncomfortable, that will stretch us for the whole of our lives. But we commit to it when we're baptized and when we, when we go through confirmation. But when we sign up for this dignity of all people, it means that we're gonna treat everybody 
with respect and honor and love and care. It means all of that. It's going to keep putting us to that place. And I think I really, I honestly believe if sometimes we say those words really quickly in confirmations and baptisms, but if we really stopped to think about that question and what it's going to ultimately ask of us to keep growing throughout our discipleship journey, we might be not be so quick to say yes to this one, right? Because it's going to ask us to go into uncomfortable places. We're committing to see the dignity of every person, even when we don't like them, even when we may hate what's coming out of their lips and all kinds of uncomfortable, make you uncomfortable kind of things that go on. I'll mention one, we're a wealthy parish. There's no hiding that. What do we begin to think about the dignity of all people when we begin to think in economic terms around our country, around our world? Are we willing to engage? Are we willing to even think about what that means? I want to give you just a a thought on that. This is uh, a a quote from uh, the previous Pope, Pope Benedict, talking about this. This is one of the things he said. He said, the dignity of the individual and the demands of justice require, particularly today, that economic choices do not cause disparities in wealth to increase in an excessive and morally unacceptable manner. I'm just raising the issue. Like I'm not, I'm just saying that's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. What do we, what do we mean when we start to think about what does it mean to, to respect and hold up the dignity of everyone in these, in this around economic terms or to, to think about Bono from U2. He talks about the accident of longitude and latitude. You could have just as well been born in a developing country where you had nothing. And we run around like, oh, we deserve all these things because we accomplished them. But let's be honest, we were lucky. We're in a lucky place, a lucky economy. But we're called to see the dignity of people in the poorest country of the world. And at least to be able to see that they're people, to be able to see that something's going on there. And our question in part is, are we willing to do that? We've committed to it. How far will God push us in these areas? And again, it begins, to, it begins to challenge us. You can think about any category you want. I had a conversation with our vice rector this morning, Ken Brannon, who was preaching on the same topic at nine, about all the different ways that respecting the dignity of all people can take us. Whether it's talking about um, the outcasts of society or whether it's you know, people who want to take certain people of certain, certain sexual orientations and pretend that they're less than human or don't have dignity or whatever, all the different categories that you can push into, right? And then we begin again to think about it, I think in global terms for a minute. And thinking about this, God has said in the pages of scripture, which we believe is, he teaches us through that you're a citizen of above. That's your primary loyalty. And you combine that with how God calls us to love our neighbors, ourselves, And then you begin to think, uh, actually, we have to care about people around the world. To suddenly come up and say, the only people that matter are people in our country is not Christian. We have to care about global health. We have to care about global environment. We have to care about global economic issues. We have to, because Scripture and God and the church teach us that the dignity of every single person, the planet over matter. 
and it matters. And, and you know, not, I'm not going to get into political issues, but when you start talking about things like immigration, just for a second, think about it. We can talk about tactics. We can say we need to keep control because we need to keep things regulated and keep America the way it is so we can be a blessing to the world. We can talk about all those. I'm not going into those details, but I think as a Christian, we have to see the dignity of every single person all the time. It's not up for grabs. We're not, whatever policies we're pursuing, whatever is going on, we, that's a separate conversation, but what's not up for grabs or discussion is whether we're going to see people at our borders or wherever as people. They're people. They're people with dignity. They're people with God-given dignity. That's our view. That's full stop. And that's part of what we're committing to. It's a journey. It's hard. We all struggle with it. I know one Episcopal bishop who says, this is miserably hard for all of us. And every time we recommit these vows, it's calling us to self-reflection and self-work to continue to try to work because it's hard because we, so we keep going on it, but we see Jesus model it throughout his ministry. You'll see that Jesus, as he deals with all the people during his life, he does this right. And from the start, the very first time we see him in a synagogue in Luke four, and he stands up and takes the scroll and he, he quotes from Isaiah. We get, we get his mission statement where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That that's part of what his aim and mission is. And, and then we see him do it, right? We get the leper who's healed so he can go back into society. We see the woman caught in adultery who's not condemned so she can go on and have another day. We see the man who's possessed by a demon who's healed so he can go on. Or we see the good Samaritan who's, who becomes a hero. We see all these different ways that Jesus talks about these things and every one of them is uplifting the dignity of people. And some would say, we forget it, but that Jesus was a radical and that some would say his concern for the dignity of all is part of what puts him on a cross. And this continues on today, right? I recently, preparing the sermon, I read an uh, article by the Anglican bishop in India who's talking about dealing with the caste system there. And when we start talking about the dignity of all, and you've got a society that's used to having all these different strata, these castes, and you go to the lowest one, the untouchables, which they, they're called the, the Dalits. And he, he talks about the way they see their mission there. And this is part of what he says. He says, we believe helping Dalits recover their God-given human dignity, whether through education, healthcare, or economic empowerment is gospel work. Sometimes we think the gospel is just about talking about forgiveness of sins and the life, death, and uh, resurrection of Jesus and what it brings in, in that way. But it's the gospel is also this holding up of dignity of everyone in all kinds of different ways. And, you know, as we sort, sort of head home with this, I want to think about this for a minute how this affects us at a practical level day by day. I think one of the things I would say at a practical level is Christians are called to see people in some sense the same, that everybody has equal dignity. So whether you're the CEO of the company or you're on the cleaning crew, equal in God's eyes, same love, same dignity, the whole thing equal that way. 
that God holds it out that way. And I think it affects how we interact with people. And our challenge, I think, is to find the ability to see the dignity of whomever you're interacting with, even at weird times. I uh, read an article in a discipleship magazine by a guy named Chuck, Br Chuck Broughton, who tells about this story that, uh, that he, of an event that took place on a subway in New York City. And uh, I'm going to let him speak. This is the story he tells. He says, I was riding the crowded subway in New York City. Every 10 to 15 seconds or so, someone behind me shouted unintelligible words. The first time I ignored them. After several outbursts, however, I turned around to see that they were coming from a disheveled man behind me. Sitting fairly close to him was a woman reading a newspaper. As I watched, he reached out and touched her knee and quickly brought his hand back. Not getting any response, he did it again a few seconds later. It seemed like a game a small child might play. Each time his face showed that he was pretending not to have touched her. No one said anything, but those sitting near him exchanged nervous glances and began to inch away. I was caught off guard by what happened next. The woman put down her paper, looked at the man. I expected her to rebuke him. And instead, she politely engaged the man in conversation. Do you know where your stop is? He nodded that he did. Do you need any help getting to where you're, you need to go? He shook his head no. I don't know what motivated this woman to treat the, a stranger on the subway with such kindness. But the way she asked these questions showed that she was genuinely concerned for his welfare. She chose to respond to him as a real person with real needs and not just as an annoyance on her commute. I wonder how many things would change if every day in every encounter with every human, we could begin our conversation by saying, that's a person of dignity that God loves and how it might change us. I know for me, the, um, the, my greatest joy in doing mission outreach work, it's almost like a guilty thing, pleasure, is to get to, when we go to Austin Street Center, I love to be the guy that's at the front of the line handing out the silverware, the plasticware, because I get to greet every single person that comes. And I love to sit there and pray for them and, and see th those who have found themselves in a condition of homelessness to try to see the dignity in each person and honor it in them and how they respond. Because that's sometimes what they crave more than anything else. It changes things. It's part of our call. It's part of our commitment. I want to suggest to you that um, we have these two great things about this question and this belief. We have this idea that's implicit in the question that gets asked. You've got dignity that's not dependent on what you do, what you accomplish, or what you have. You've got a God-given dignity that we should always hold on to as a core of our identity. And along with that, then, is a call to see the dignity of all people. Doesn't matter what they've done, where they've been, who they are, to see something that, that God still loves them and has sees their, their dignity. And we're all one big human family that way. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and you bestow upon us dignity. It comes from you. Help us, Lord, to own that at the core of our identity. And Lord, help us. Give us strength. Give us grace. Empower us by your spirit 
to see the dignity of all people, to let go of our restraints that hold us back with scarcity, to draw upon your infinite love that we can see and hold and, and uplift and encourage the dignity of all people in all kinds of ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.